0: Today's Palm Sunday, I guess everybody's aware of that probably already, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ rode into the city of Jerusalem, and on that day, they lauded him. They said, hallelujah. They said, crown him. They were ready to make him the king of the nation, the people that were there. The real significance of Palm Sunday is not what happened, but that 500 years before, imagine, a prophet, a preacher named Zechariah had written that Jesus Christ would ride, the the Messiah, when he would come, he would ride into the city of Jerusalem on the foal of an ass, and the crowd would welcome him. And it was fulfilled exactly and precisely uh, on that day when the Lord uh, came on Palm Sunday. That's what we celebrate today. Now I'll not focus on that uh, today. I want to focus on the cross. And I want you to open your Bible, please, to the book of Luke chapter number 23. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. and if you will stand with me as we read Luke's account, uh, at least part of the account of the crucifixion of Christ, Luke 23, and we begin reading in verse 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the male factors, that would be the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment, or his clothing, his garment, and they cast lots for it. And The people stood beholding, and the rulers This would represent the Jews. They derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers, that would be the Romans, the Gentiles, they also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Now, if you will turn with me in your Bible and keep your, uh, well, t- the primary passage will be 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So will you turn there also with me in your, in your Bible and let me read to you from God's Word. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 17, 1 Corinthians 1 and 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. There is Paul's very clear statement of what a preacher is to do, is to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect, should be minimized, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. Note, the cross, the Bible says, is the power of God. Chapter 2, verse 2. And the apostle writes, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, And him crucified You may be seated The series of messages For the last five weeks Has been We would see Jesus We would see Jesus And that was the first message The second one was The tears of Jesus Christ I went through the accounts Of when it says That Jesus wept and cried And then A couple of weeks ago The subject was behold the man. Pilate's presentation of Jesus Christ to the cruel mob, behold the man. And today the subject is the cross of Christ and the Christian faith. The cross of Christ and the Christian faith. I'd like for you to notice that first of all, the cross is the very symbol of Christianity. I know you know that, but I want to I want to emphasize some things about it. The cross is the very symbol of Christianity. Behind me on the wall is a great cross. And it's there because it is the very heart and core of what we believe. And so when you look at the front of our church, you cannot help but notice that the centerpiece of the church is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every religion and every ideology, every movement, has a symbol. With Buddhism, it's a lotus leaf, a round leaf indicating the circle of life. If In Judaism, it's the star of David. In uh, Islam, it's a crescent moon on the you see it on all the Islamic flags. Among the Marxists, it's the hammer and the sickle, representing industry by the hammer and uh, agriculture by the sickle. Nazism, its symbol is a swastika, a dreaded and hated symbol in the world of today. The peace movement is a broken cross, a cross that's upside down, and the arms are broken as if they're about to fall. It so distresses me when I see Christians that uh, exhibit a peace symbol, as it's called. They seem to be unaware that was a demonic, that was a symbol of the devil himself at one period in history. It's a symbol of occultism as well as a peace movement today, indicating the philosophy of many people that are in these radical leftist movements. And Christians ought to know that and be very, very careful about that. But the cross was our symbol. It was adopted, strangely, from a means of execution, if you can believe that or not. The pagans invented crucifixion as a way to execute people. And they wanted to literally torture people so they would live a long time. Today, When we execute people, well, we try to do it absolutely painlessly. They tried to bring all the suffering and inflict all the suffering they possibly could upon people. And the Romans adopted this about 500 before Christ. And so, up until about 600 after Christ, it was the Roman method of execution. It was a horrible death. It was so horrible that though the Romans executed thousands of people, they would not allow one of their citizens to be executed except for treason. A Roman citizen was exempt. They were usually beheaded if you were a a citizen because it was quicker and less painful. But the cross was reserved for the conquered territories of the Roman Empire. When they went in to conquer a territory, they wanted to instill fear in the heart of people and so they would use crucifixion public mass crucifixions with hundreds of people over a period of time to inflict uh, fear upon the inhabitants so they would submit to the Roman authority and today we don't think about it but in the early days of Christianity if you would have put a cross on your lapel or you would have put a cross on the front of the church then it would have it would be like Wearing a little cross or a little lapel, and uh, of a of an electric chair, <laughs> nobody nobody in the right mind would go around in, with a lapel pin of an electric chair or a hangman's noose. But that's what it meant in those days. It was purely a symbol of execution. It was uh, feared by people, and so the early Christians at first didn't use the cross as their symbol. They used it. The very first, a dove, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And then they used the fish, the igthus, which was an acrostic in the Latin words. If you took the first letter of each word, it would spell Jesus Christ. And so they used these various other symbols. At one time, they used a peacock because a peacock in that culture was a symbol of immortality, of life everlasting. But then in the year... 312 AD on October the 27th the Roman emperor who as you know up until then the romans had persecuted the christians but the roman emperor at that time was named constantine and he was an ultimate politician and he saw this growing movement this religion of the christians and the romans had had their pagan gods and constantine among other things could count And so Constantine decided, you know, the most powerful political move I could probably do would be to become a Christian and convert and be with these people. And I would immediately have a huge, huge voting block. And uh, we don't know if Constantine was sincere or not, but many people question it because of other things in his life. However, he he was praying, he said... And as he was praying, he looked up into the sky and he saw a cross, a huge cross that dominated the whole sky. And underneath it were the words written in Latin, By this conquer. What well, was on the eve of one of his most important battles. And so that day, Constantine said, God has spoken to me and told me I need to become a Christian. And he adopted the cross as his political insignia had it put on the shields and and uh, used it as a logo for his his uh, administration if you will and he claimed to become a christian that day and so the roman empire gradually shifted toward christianity and the cross because of that became universally adopted as the symbol of the Christian faith. Today, you and I immediately know what a cross means. We know that if you go out to the cemetery and you look at a grave and you see a cross on the gravestone, we know here lies a Christian. We know that if you pass a building and it has a cross on it, it signifies a Christian house of worship. And most churches have one either inside the building or a steeple on the outside of the building. Some churches have multiple crosses everywhere around the building. Paul uses a phrase in the book of Galatians chapter five. I'd like for you to take a moment and look that up. I think it's worthy of the time. Galatians chapter five and verse 11, and there's a phrase there because I want to embed this phrase in your mind because you're going to need this. You already need it as you evaluate the world around you. In Galatians chapter 5, and uh, there in, let's see, it's in uh, verse number 11, you see the phrase, the offense of the cross. Do you see that phrase? Paul talks about the offense of the cross, meaning that there's something about the cross that offends the unbelieving and Christ-rejecting world. They don't like the cross, if properly understood. They reject it. It's offensive to them. And so in our culture today, you see the removal of crosses. Isn't that interesting? Out in California, there was a memorial cross to World War II veterans that had been there since the war. Recently, the ACLU made them take it down. And I could multiply those illustrations across the country. The world still hates the cross. The cross is offensive to humankind and they will do what they can to get rid of it. About 30 years ago or more, there was a movement started in America. It was called the Church Growth Movement. And I bought the books and I listened to the data that they presented. They believed you should go out and do surveys of your community and ask people questions. What would you like for us to do that would cause you to attend our church. And hence, you could grow your church if you offered the people what they wanted. And I read many of those books, and honestly, I'll be, I'll be eternally thankful to the Lord. I, I sort of edged into that, but as time went back, I backed away from it. Now, I want a growing church as much as anybody in the whole world. But among other things, do you know what the conclusions were? This whole thing was called the, the Willow Creek model after the church that uh, propagated this. And across the country, I've seen hundreds, if not thousands, of churches buy into it. Do you know what they found out in the survey, among other things, that people were offended by a cross. As old as Galatians chapter five and verse 11. And you know what? Many churches began to take down their crosses and some of the writers in that movement said, take down your cross. It's offensive to your visitors if they're unbelievers. Well, we knew that all along. Our Bible told us that. But can we remove the cross in order not to offend an unbelieving person? Is that what the Bible teaches? Is that the path that the church needs to be on, that we remove everything that unsaved people don't like? I think I've re- I think I figured out how to really grow a church. Just open me a big bar up here next Sunday morning and offer free drinks to the whole world. Yeah, they'd come then, wouldn't they? But there are certain things about the Christian faith that if we remove the offense of those things, We have gutted Christianity of what it is about, and we can't afford to do that. The cross has been the theme of more songs that we sing in Christian worship than any other single subject. The cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Yeah, that's what it represents. Suffering and shame and humiliation and cruelty and torture. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. The church is to be militant with the cross of Jesus going on before. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, a precious fountain of his blood, free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb? Or do I fear to own his cause? Listen to this, or blush to speak his name. And my favorite in the cross of Christ I glory, towering over the wrecks of time. Oh, what a phrase. Down through the ages, look at what we've done to this world. I mean, you want to know a good description of modern day culture? It's a wreck. And there towering above the culture is the cross of Jesus Christ, enduring and hopeful and forgiveness and a symbol of the one God who loves us and gave his son for our sin. Yes, the cross is the symbol of Christianity, and may we never blush or be ashamed of the cross of Christ. Number two, and the cross was the ultimate purpose of Jesus' life. It's not just our symbol. It was the purpose of Jesus' life. It was his mission. It was the reason that Jesus Christ came. There's a picture that I've Told you about before because it's so moving. It's a picture by an artist named Holman Hunt. And it hangs in an art gallery in Manchester, England. And uh, just, I just want you to look at the picture and I'll read you the description. The description that hangs under that on the plaque is that Jesus is in the carpenter's shop in Nazareth before his public ministry. He is stripped to the waist because he's been working in the heat of the day. He stands by a wooden trestle on which he has laid his saw. He lifts up his eyes to heaven and stretches after a day of work, raising both of his arms above his head. The evening sunlight is streaming through the open door, casting a dark shadow in the form of a cross on the wall behind him, where his tool rack Looks like a horizontal bar on which his hands have been crucified. Those tools reminding us of the hammer and the nails. And in the foreground, a woman kneels there to the left and the bottom. She kneels among the wood chips. And it reminds us of the account of Luke's gospel where the women knelt at the foot of the cross as Jesus Christ was being crucified. Such a powerful, powerful Picture. It's called the shadow of death Well you see Jesus talked about the cross More than any other subject in his ministry It was just a few months After he began his public ministry And in Matthew chapter 16 And verse 17 The Lord Jesus Christ said this Soon the son of man Will need to go up to Jerusalem And he will suffer there From the hands of the elders And the scribes and they will kill him, and he will be buried. But on the third day, he'll rise again. That's Matthew chapter 16. He said it again in chapter 17. He said it again in chapter 20. He said it again in chapter 28. He said it in other places. If you'll read the New Testament Gospels and compare the four Gospels, he was saying this over and over and over repetitively. He was telling his disciples, my mission Sure, I came to preach, I came to heal, I came to help. But above all, all of that is meaningless. I must go to the cross, I must suffer, I must die, I must be buried in the ground to prove that I was dead. And then three days later, I'm going to resurrect. And by this, men will know that I'm the son of God and that I've paid for the sins of the world. The gospel, if you will. And to separate Jesus Christ from the cross. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen, please, because I want you to be discerning and aware of this as you live in the world today. To separate Jesus Christ from his cross or to minimize in any way the cross in favor of his teaching is to distort who Jesus Christ was and why he came Back in the 1920s and and then through the 30s, 40s, and 50s and into the 60s especially, there arose in America, in in American religion, in Protestantism in America, there arose what was called liberalism or modernism, some people called it. And it was a belief that the miracles of Jesus Christ didn't really happen and that Jesus Christ was not virgin born. Jesus Christ was a wonderful man, the best teacher who probably ever lived. He introduced a code of ethics into the world. But Jesus Christ was just a man, and it absolutely took away the cross. If it even mentioned the cross in those churches that adopted that philosophy, it was, as a side note, it was not the emphasis where a preacher would preach like I'm preaching an entire message and talk about nothing but the cross. And you see, liberalism presented Jesus Christ as a great teacher, and he was. Liberalism presented Jesus Christ as a great humanitarian, and he was. Liberal churches talk more about the Sermon on the Mount than they do Mount Calvary. Liberal churches talk more about doing it under the least of these than they do about winning people of the Lord Jesus Christ and sending missionaries. To the whole world so they can come to christ they're more concerned about people's condition on the earth than they are whether or not they go to heaven so often that's liberalism and it's liberalism because it has minimized and marginalized the cross of jesus christ i would tell you if you go to another city that above everything else when you in your search for a church you ought to find out what does that, how often does that preacher talk about the gospel and about the cross of Jesus Christ. Are they ashamed of the blood? Have they removed the songs that talk about there's a fountain that's filled with blood because, brother, without the blood of Jesus Christ, you can't have your sins forgiven. And so you want a pastor, a preacher, a church that emphasizes the heart of the gospel, which is the cross. Speaking of the gospel, turn with me. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn over there, if you will, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The subject is so old, so familiar here that, oh, I hope you don't get to where you don't see it. You know, when things get so familiar, we don't notice them, do we? I hope you never get to where you forget 1 Corinthians 15. If there's not another place in your Bible that has a marking on it, please put your first mark right here. Because Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel in verse 1. Meaning I'm going to tell you what is the gospel in the quickest, shortest, briefest form. I want you to know the gospel, Corinthian people. I want you to know the gospel, Florence Baptist Temple people and those many that watch us on television today. What is the gospel? Paul said down in verse number three, I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, meaning that God had given to him supernaturally. Here's the gospel. I declare to you the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Verse three, according to the scriptures meaning all those prophecies about someone coming and dying, he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. First of all, point one of the gospel, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Point two, verse four, he was buried. As I've already said, he was buried because you buried dead men. If he had been in some sort of swoon, some unconscious state, you wouldn't have buried him. He buried him because he was dead. The people who buried him knew he was dead. The Roman centurion said he was dead. And he he, he was in charge of, of crucifixions every day. He knew what a dead man was. Over and over and over, he was dead. And they buried him. And they put him in a tomb for three days. And then point three of the gospel, he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And then... The last point is that he was seen. And it says that over and over here. In fact, he was seen by over 500 people at one one time in one place. And so this is the gospel. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Take out verse number three, how Christ died. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't have any gospel. When you don't emphasize the cross, there is no gospel. There's no burial without a cross. There's no resurrection without a cross. There is no gospel. So if you want me to get militant and adamant and in your face, go after the gospel. Because without the gospel, I don't have any hope. How am I going to get my sins forgiven if there's not any blood of Christ shed for me? You think I'm a good enough man to get to heaven without Jesus Christ? That's my only hope. It's my only hope. All week long I've dealt with death and near death and sickness. And the only hope we have is the cross of Jesus Christ. Hear me. Hear me. Well, people reject it. They reject it every day. Go back with me to chapter 1, if you will. Because I want you to see this in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 23. We preach Christ crucified. That's the subject of our church. Under the Jews, that's the religious people, a stumbling block. And under the Greeks, foolishness. A stumbling block. Something you stumble over, you fall over, it trips you up. He said to the religious mind, the cross is a stumbling block. People fall over it. Who does he say that about? The Jews. The Jews of that time were the religionists. They went to church. They were moral. They were good people. You would have liked having a Jew for your neighbor. They would have brought you good things over. They're wonderful people. They're moral people. The Jewish religionists, But remember, they were the ones who crucified him. They believed that you had to contribute to your own salvation by living a good life, by being a moral person, by good works. And so they stumbled over the fact that you can't live a good enough life to go to heaven. They stumbled over the fact that it was not religion that saved you. It was the cross of Christ that brought you hope. I've often wondered why in Deuteronomy chapter 21, I think it is, that it says that he that hangeth on a tree is a curse. Because I thought, what does that mean? The Jews didn't crucify, the Romans crucified. But here's what the Jews did. When they executed a criminal or a person, they would take the body and hang it up on a tree. Now, why would they do something so cruel and so so grotesque? They did it because it was a warning to people not to get involved in crime. See what your crimes will do. for This is the consequences of your crime. And so, but at evening, they took it down because the law of Moses and Deuteronomy said, you can't leave it on the tree overnight. And when they saw Jesus Christ on the cross, the Jews... No doubt they thought, this can't be the Messiah. This is not the one that the prophets talked about. He came and he ends up in this ignominious death with these criminals, these malefactors on each side, these thieves, these terrible people. No, the guy that's going to save us is he's going to be a moralist, a religious, a great teacher. He's not going to die as a criminal. And they stumbled over it, and they rejected him. And it also says in that same verse, if you will notice there, that verse number 23, the Greeks seek after wisdom. And so the Roman world, the Greek world, the Gentile world, if you will, they think you find God through knowledge, through wisdom. They thought you read Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and all that stuff, and you came, you became very self-aware. You had self-understanding. Sounds like America today, doesn't it? I'm going to learn, and I'm going to figure this out, and uh, I'm going to watch Dr. So-and-so on TV and... And uh, Oprah's going to tell me about the God that's within me, and I'm going to develop this stuff, and on and on and on. And it was foolishness to them, to the intellectual mind. Still is. To think they can find God on their own. There's an old picture that was found on the wall in Rome this is shortly after Jesus Christ. And the Christians were growing rapidly. At the left is the actual picture. This is a picture of this painting that was on a wall. And, the le- and, and they have put it in a museum in Rome. And that's the left. But it, it, it's hard for you to see. So you move it over to the right there and, and just do a line drawing. And you can see it real clearly. And it's a figure is on a cross. And he has the head of a... Ass. And down underneath him is a man looking up at him with his hands up as if he's worshiping him, adoring him. And underneath it, that slogan there, if you bring it up to date, it simply means Alex Aminos worships his God. And his God is on a cross with an ass's head. That's what the Greeks thought of Jesus. That's what the secularists and the humanists think of him today. That's what a lot of college professors think of Jesus today. He's an ass on a cross. That's what the world thinks of our Lord. You may not enjoy me being this brutally frank, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. So they ridiculed him. They ridiculed Christianity. Now, let me tell you what we've done to it today. One more slide. Look on the screen. You ever see that on a bumper sticker? Makes me want to stone that car. I didn't say I did. Now, don't go out of here. I'm you know, just telling you what I feel in my heart. Hey? I would do it with a blessing on the people inside, of course. Muslim symbol satanic peace symbol. The symbol of feminism is the E. The star is a distortion of an X. You know what that I is? Wiccan. Paganism. Witchcraft. You know what the S is? The Tao. The Yin and the Yang. Last. The cross of Christ. One among many. Don't emphasize it too much. We've got to coexist. That's the modern view of the cross. One among many truths. Pick your truth. Truth is personal. It's not absolute. Truth is relative. Decide which one you want. They're all about the same. That's the modern idea. Well, the cross was the purpose of his life. It's not one among many. It is the only way to God. Now quickly, the preaching of the cross then is the primary message of the preacher. It's the primary job of the preacher to preach the gospel. Will you look in verse 17? Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, not to try to entertain people, not to impress people with my knowledge, not to tell people a bunch of jokes so that they're attracted to me and not convicted of sin. The message of the preacher is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he said, I don't want to do anything that would make it of less effect. Paul tried to impress people a little bit, I think, on... Acts chapter 17, he went up on Mars Hill and he was with the intellectuals and he used oratory, and he used eloquence and he used poetry and all kinds of different devices. And he had very few people respond. And I go over to Acts chapter 18, verse one, I wish I had time to get you there, but he says, when I came, I didn't come declaring to you all these other things. I came simply preaching the cross of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, it's right there before you. I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ. He changed his method and people got saved. And a great church was built in Corinth. There is no church on Mars Hill. The cross is the only path to God. We look at verse 18. The last phrase says it's the power of God. Hear me. Now listen real carefully. The cross reveals man's deepest need, our forgiveness of sin. That's our deepest need. I need forgiveness. The cross reveals what the world, the religious and political system, thinks of Jesus Christ. As you could see in the bumper sticker, it hasn't changed much. The cross reveals God's justice. He spared not His own Son, but gave Him up for us. The cross reveals the holiness of God, a God who is so holy, He gave His Son, but blacked out the scene from the sun, so He would not and could not look upon the evil that pervaded the scene. The cross reveals the futility of good works. Why would God allow Jesus to go through what he went through if there was a way I could earn my own way to heaven? The cross is the power to draw men and women to Christ. If I be lifted up, John 12, I will draw all men to me. The cross is the only answer for your search for God. If you want to know God you must needs go by the cross. The motivation for the cross was one thing and it was love. God loved this world so much he gave his only begotten son. And the cross is the motivation for my service and my devotion. The cross is the reason I come to church and serve the Lord and try to live a righteous life as he helps me. The cross is everything. The cross is the Christian faith. Bow your head with me if you will, please.